All right. Well, with that, hello, everyone, and welcome to Tapcalf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast. Uh, we're eventually going to piss someone off by saying that, aren't we? I don't know. Who? There's no other Star Wars podcast to piss but off. But if someone if someone does, hypothetically, because it would never happen, make another Star Wars podcast, we're never going to mm. be guests on it, are we? No, but to be honest, that's okay. Okay. Uh, fine. I am Corey, and joining me as always, we have Mr. Eckhart's Ladder. How are you doing, Justin? I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. It's been really nice over here in the uh, promised land of Nova Scotia. The weather's been very warm. I've been doing lots of yard work. I've been barbecuing literally every day. It's been pretty great. What about what about in uh, Upper Canada? Uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of after effects work which has been fun and enlightening mm-hmm. also a little bit infuriating but it has been hot as shit and mm-hmm. i have no ac i have i don't know if anyone can see it no it's just out of frame but i do have this nice fan uh that i, I keep as close as possible and that is where all my cooling comes from which is it's not effective especially having no uh my computer in such a confined space and my mini fridge doesn't help. Yeah, that's like when Kelsey was pregnant with Gus, she was like, because we, we had no AC and that summer was really hot. Like there was a stretch where we hit like 40 with humidity a few times. That's 40, uh, not uh, Imperial. That's 40 metric. I don't Fahrenheit. know what it is. In imp- Fahrenheit yeah. in Celsius. Yeah, I don't know what it is in, in Fahrenheit. It must be like 100. But anyways, it, it was really hot here for like a stretch. And Kelsey was just like, get us a goddamn heat pump. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So since then we've had air conditioning, it's been pretty nice. Yeah, I I have an air conditioner. It's just it's a window model and it, mm. it it's one of the ones where it kind of it's built so that the window comes down on it, but mm-hmm. I have windows that open like left to right, mm-hmm. which is not really very helpful. So Right. Last year, I had it in with a, uh, I put, <laughs> I didn't have it all the way out the window. I had it so that it was leaning in on my side, and the <laughs> screen was still in the window. And I had like the you know the keyboard tray for a desk. Mm-hmm. I didn't put that in when I was building my desk, so yeah, I put keyboard that. Keyboard trays suck. Let's be honest. Who uses keyboard yeah. tray? Like, so what are you doing? I put it up on top of the AC to cover the rest of the window. And then I had, I taped it all in. It was... Is that after like a particularly vigorous red-green like watching session or something? He would have been proud. It was not my proudest moment. Dana was uh, not impressed, but got the job done. The episode where they take a... Okay, so they, they have a truck, right? Like a flatbed truck. They fill up the back with water... And then they connect a hose from the exhaust into the water and basically make like a redneck um, hot tub. You kind of did like the opposite of that in some ways. Yeah. I I really want just a floor model AC, but then that's like, I had one in my Amazon wish list. Mm -hmm. It was like 250 bucks. And then I went and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it now. But Mm -hmm. then I checked and it was a hundred dollars more in a day. So that yeah. was that was lame. 
And then uh, you have to pay here for it's like a two hundred dollar charge to use it for the season because we don't pay for electricity. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I might be moving in a month or two, so I don't want to pay two hundred dollars to use it for a month on top of paying like three hundred to five hundred dollars to get one. So, but then I I've spent like the last few days here and I've really questioned my decision making. But like you're also just like dying, so you have to consider. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and if my computer like fucking burns out because of it then that's even more yeah. money which i guess is possible i mean i mean we gotta like uh, that's why i'm kind of lucky like i've got my office in a basement and then like i've got like a nice dehumidifier that runs kind of keeps it really cool like we've been trying to go for walks every day um and to actually the last three days kind of cool we found a little turtle habitat near our house, and every time we walk by, the turtles are slumming themselves, which is neat. And then two days ago, we saw a beaver, because they have, like, a bunch of beaver lodges or beaver dams around here. Anyway, when we get home, I basically just, like, walk into my basement, and it's just pure bliss. Mm-hmm. So. That does sound nice. Last year, I loved having my air conditioner running, as precarious as it was. Mm-hmm. But... uh it's not in the car. I mean, no, I, I can't announce my plans so, on the podcast, but. W- here's the thing. Um, we will, after this, be doing a episode of Sea of Thieves. So maybe we'll have to do a uh, Corey gets an air conditioner donation call or something. <laughs> or, or Corey puts his AC up or something. But yeah, so uh, enough about AC transmissions. The actual topic of today's podcast is uh, book two in the Han Solo adventures. We did Han Solo at Star's End last time. Today we're going to be talking about Han Solo's Revenge as Mm. presented in this three-copy compilation or three-book compilation of the Mm -hmm. Han Solo adventures with only Han Solo and the Lost Legacy to go after this. Look at at how pretty this is. Kind of sad, to be honest. Yeah, but then we've we've still got another Han Solo trilogy. So also, I do need to correct myself. I last episode I said that that this came before um, the I I said that book one of the Han Solo adventures came out in seventy seven, and it came out in seventy nine. So I don't think you said seventy seven my... last time. Well, I think what maybe what I said is that um, it came out before Splinter of the Mind's Eye, but I think it was actually after. Maybe, hmm. is that what I said? I think Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out first, and I was just being an ignorant bitch about it. Yeah, 78. So that was my mistake. I didn't get any feedback on it or anything, but I was just thinking about it afterwards, and I realized I kind of screwed up. So. Yeah, that was actually... Uh, Another PR disaster. Well, my sister, when she was texting me saying that she was watching last time, <laughs> what she actually said was... <laughs> Uh, can you tell Justin he's uh, an idiot because Splinter of the Mind's Eye came out in 78 and At Star's End came out in 79, so... You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, for some reason, I I get confused. Just I think it's, I think it's football. I took too many hits, but I was thinking that episode uh, four came out in 79 instead of 77. So... Yeah, I was just confused that way. I was thinking it came out the same year as episode four, so there could have been nothing. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just dumb. So if anybody has a half-completed angry email, you can still send it, but just know that I've... Um, I have... Changed your ways? Yeah. 
Oh, before we, before, a before we start, though, we should mention we're trying to move to a consistent upload time for the audio podcast. We're pretty good about starting on YouTube within an hour or two uh, the same day, but we've been less good, mostly me, uh, have been less good about uploading the podcast to Spotify and whatever else. So we're going to aim for noon Eastern time, I think we said, right, on Saturday. Yeah. So the Saturday following the podcast, we record on a Thursday. We'll get it up at noon Eastern time. At least that's what we're planning right now. If you guys have feedback, like if, if it'd be better if it came out on Friday, we can try to do that or whatever else. Just let us know um, how your podcasting habits um, are. We also yeah. kind of mentioned um, on a stream that maybe eventually we would do a non-Star Wars book. Um because I mentioned that I was reading the uh, Southern Reach trilogy or the Area X trilogy, and it's amazing. That's um, X the letter, not X E C K S. That's right. There's no Area X trilogy yet. Yet. Although, that's a good name for the. That maybe I'll include that somewhere in the video that I'm working on for it. How much but... will I get paid if you do? <sighs> Nothing. Oh, speaking of payment, before we get in, I'm sorry, I keep. I keep forgetting. We did we didn't mention our new sponsor for today's episode. No, we didn't. Uh product unfortunately <laughs> didn't send us the money. Uh so we have moved on from product. Product is dead to us. Yeah. Uh if any of you have subscriptions to product, I strongly suggest burning them and yeah. sending a strongly worded letter to product. Yeah. Uh we did, we did give out their email last time. So oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe don't do that, but uh but yeah, this this new sponsor is really the one that uh, that I think is going to take us to the next level. So Justin, if you mm -hmm. if you want to introduce new new sponsor, so as brought to us by Keller, and that's Keller, not Queller, the Dark Jedi from the New Rebellion. We have Guard Guard, uh, the newest reliable and free antivirus system for Windows operating system which is pretty cool. And you're right, it is called Guard Guard. No, I don't um, think it is. I don't think it is. See, well, the... Uh, it They represent the Guard Guard team. So the product right. is called Guard, and then it has a team that guards it. So he's, right. okay. he's a representative of the team that guards Guard. Right, and they obviously didn't do a good enough job because I am... We are, in fact, getting virus flags on this email yep. now, or... Or, or just dangerous content flags. Anyway, they're really sweet with how they reached us to us. How could we say no? They said that we shoot high-quality videos with excellent sound and excellent presentation of material. Everyone who's watching on YouTube, can we just take a second to check out the presentation <laughs> right now? Corey's being rendered in, like, 320 by 320 pixels. Yep. And <laughs> Justin is being rendered in a PNG file. Yeah. But more than that, we he's... He or she, I, I don't know, oh, Bruno Keller. So he says, you, like no other, are perfect for us. They're not wrong. <laughs> so they also have a large budget for advertising. So we're going to try to smooth out some of the details in there. Um, but hopefully Guard Guard, or perhaps just Guard as protected by Guard, will be joining the lineup very soon. Yeah, so thank you to the Guard team for Guard. Uh mm. Okay, we are we are twelve minutes in. We have not mentioned the book at all. Uh, so, what did you think of Han Solo's Revenge? Um, 
we kind of mentioned this last time the han solo adventures are very you know they're pulpy they're straightforward adventure novels and i don't mean that in a bad way last time we kind of said they're very similar to like an indiana jones book or or sorry an indiana jones movie or how you might assume that like an indiana jones uh book would be i haven't read any of them i know there are a bunch though um kind of like it's a very simple plot you've got the opening adventure which is usually pretty self-contained then you get the larger adventure which usually wraps up pretty nicely with uh some interesting and fun set pieces and whatnot um i have found though and i think you kind of mentioning about this before we started there are portions of this book that are just kind of confusing to read um and i noticed that especially in like the last third like just in i noticed that last time too with the whole prison escape maybe i'm just stupid but yeah i mean there are a lot of places where it's done really well to kind of just get mm -hmm. past uh what would probably be pretty boring and yeah uh irrelevant stuff where uh when they're halfway through a situation rather than write out the rest of the situation you'll have a scene change and it's it'll basically mm -hmm. be like oh sure is great how we got out of that situation isn't it Mm -hmm. And for example, the uh, um, when they are on the Lady of Mindor, which is the passenger liner that they're on, and they're getting mm -hmm. raided by the pirates, uh, mm -hmm. when they're going to escape on the uh, lifeboat, I think it's specifically called, mm -hmm. and they basically get in. Or they get to it. They don't even really... I don't think they even get in directly. It's just you leave that scene and next time you see Han and Fiola, they are just... They're, yeah. they're down on the planet. They're in the spaceport at the planet they were going to. There's nothing about like how they actually got away yeah. from the rest of the slavers, if the other slavers even noticed. So there's a lot of gaps what? you kind of have to fill yourself. And they get yeah. filled later by just like, okay, so the pirates showed up. Maybe mm -hmm. they noticed something. When uh, I read that, I thought they were yeah. stealing the actual pirate ship. Like, I I misunderstood the plan at first. I thought they were stealing, like, the actual ship itself. Yeah, I thought that was uh, the original plan as well, but instead it was uh, just go and take the lifeboat. I will say one of the kind of nice things, though, is if you ever do get confused in one of these books, like, just keep reading. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, they're mostly just fun, and there's there's a lot that I enjoy about that, like, one thing that I've noticed really uh, interesting is that Brian Daly does a good job of like making these. I just said noticed really interesting, but one thing I noticed is that Brian Daly does a good job of making these really interesting planets. And in this one, we get Bonadan, um, which does actually appear pretty frequently, at least name dropped in the EU, from what I can remember. One of the um, few planets that made the cut to be included in base game Star Wars Empire at War. There it is. That means it's important. Um, and, like, I think he does a really interesting... Or, what's wrong with me today? He does a really good job of making the planet seem interesting. Like, he talks about how it's got all these different spaceports and stuff. Um, it's a really interesting being... slice of life, if we want to get all the tap-calf buzzwords in here. Yes. Um, and, yeah, we, we, got, we got something like that with... Uh, I forget what the egg planet was from last time. So, sorry, I'm distracted. Every It's funny, every time I start streaming... Or start podcasting. I see that my PayPal has submitted an order for clothing. It's kind of strange. Kelsey, if you're listening, I'm, I'm on to you. <laughs> but, um, 
It's yeah, Charlie. Yeah. That's how he's. That's why he's not sending you the invoice. He's just charging his clothing orders directly to uh, to your PayPal. That it was a baby gap order for that one. I just checked. So okay. Well, it, it could, you know, it could be for Gus or it could be for Charlie. I don't know. Charlie could have some kids out there. Yep. Um. Anyway, what do you think of these books compared to like later EU material, though? Like. How would you kind of classify them? Especially, I'm interested, how would you compare something like this to even an early Bantam-era book? I think what these do really well is this kind of, like, small adventure thing. I don't know if I'd like mm. the style as much for uh, bigger, more galactic consequence type stuff. Yeah. Like, if this was how the Thrawn trilogy was written, I think I'd probably be... Uh, I probably wouldn't like that as much. Mm-hmm. But, like, what, it, what they do really well is and it's kind of the flip side of the leaving out uh kind of the conclusions to certain events that you can kind of assume what's going on is they set he's really good at setting up and focusing on the things that are or will be important so like if you see something come up at like twice or more you can be sure that that is going to be relevant Mm -hmm. later on and there's there's a whole chapter where uh probably one of the quickest payoffs for some of them is when spray slash Ajuman, who is the uh, uh, corporate sector authority figure who is posing as a debt collector, essentially mm-hmm. trying to collect on debts that Han and Chewie owe saying he's going to repossess the Falcon. Uh, so he's kind of tagging along with Chewbacca and Han uh, to either take the ship or take the money that mm-hmm. they owe and uh he's talking about like all these modifications to the falcon that have been made that make it really difficult to know what's going on with it or what its actual specs are and uh that was kind of after i'd picked up like okay this is being mentioned so it is going to be useful in a way that isn't necessarily a given with other star wars books uh and with that specific example later that chapter uh all the kind of modifications that were mentioned play into uh this the bomb that's placed on the falcon where it explodes and it's like Mm -hmm. oh well this would have blown out a lot more important systems had the falcon not be modified so uh i really like how that's done Mm -hmm. but i like to and that kind of reminds me of one of the reasons the falcon so the falcon does get hit by a bomb or there's kind of a bomb attached to it. And one of the reasons it doesn't get fully knocked out is because there's this like new, I guess it's like a hydraulic fluid system or something that they're yeah. using instead of, so basically they get these, this repair repairs done on this planet, which has sort of a unique technological history. And instead of using just basic shielded cables, like you would use, you know, in most other places, they haven't really developed that technology yet. So they're using kind of like, I, I imagine like hydraulic fluid. Um, yeah. And so, uh, like, a, a big part of the book is about how, like, annoying that is to Han and Chewie. And I kind of mentioned this last time, but one of my favorite things about this series so far is just all the detail we get kind of about the, like, mundane parts of, like, the life of a smuggler. Like, in this one, for example, we learn about uh, the code that Han and Chewie have whenever Han's going back to the ship with someone. Like, mm-hmm. he always gives a, a ready signal or 
you know, we just learn like how they even just things like how they would stow stuff in the Millennium Falcon or yeah. I really like whenever they go to a spaceport because that's really cool because they're kind of like these really interesting seedy environments. So it's interesting to see how they uh, how they work with all that. And this book delivers that just like the last one. And yeah, I quite enjoy that. Yeah, there's even stuff like uh, when they meet Roa, which is. Uh, a character I mentioned last time who comes mm. back in the Yuuzhan Vong War. Yeah. Uh, He's the one who got all the surgery done, right? If I remember correctly. Doesn't yeah. He like, yeah. To look younger. Because his wife, yeah. who shows up in the book and thanks Han for not right. spilling the beans that he's actually still a smuggler, uh, she's dead by that point. But Does Roa is still. by a worm? Yeah. So that's the. Uh, when they're at the. over the, When they're at the wheel yes. and Han's with. Uh, with Roa. Uh-huh. And what's his name? Tazgo or something? Yeah. And so Roa gets captured by the Yuuzhan Vong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so... Along with all those, yeah. What are those cat things called again? The uh... the Rin? Yeah, the Rin. Because isn't there, that where he meets the Rin that he's always with? Too? Yeah, that's where he meets Droma. Droma, And yeah. uh, then Roa ends up being imprisoned with the rest of Droma's family, who Droma's looking for. Right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, oh, I'm so so excited to get there. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> didn't mean to, uh, what you to say. Oh yes. Mention... Oh sorry, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say the the conversation that he has with Roa when they meet here was basically just more of the smuggler setup. So mm-hmm. it's like a five minute conversation they have, and. It basically just amounts to say to Han telling, "Oh yeah, everyone that we ever knew is either dead or in prison." So, mm. yeah, because that's kind of a weird, like, I I I couldn't remember if he was in the or I didn't know if he was in the next book or not. And I don't think he is. So it's, it is kind of strange that that little interaction is put in there, mm-hmm. but I like it and it gives a nice setup. Like you said, we get all of these characters um, appearing again in. Is it's is it Agents of Chaos that they all appear again? Yeah, it's James Lucino's duology. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um and he does it in a good like like the Roa thing is like that's a good call out. Um another thing that I noticed too, because I wanted to mention how this book does a I think a lot more than the other one, actually introduces some things to the expanded universe. And I think that this is the first um well, one thing minor, we do have a, um, what's the species called? Um, a lord or a loridian, loridian or, yeah. and that's just like a face from the Rogue Squadron or from the X-Wing books. Um, because remember he's like an actor, so his, uh, cause he's the same species and they kind of have like a supernatural, not supernatural, but a really impressive ability to tell emotions and stuff. Yeah. Um. So that's one alien that gets brought over, although albeit a near human one, that gets brought over from these books. And I do think we also get our first ever appearance of a Victory Star Destroyer. I don't think they yeah. would have appeared before here. I think that that's right. Because I'm trying to yeah. think of where else they could have appeared before, and there's not really many options. But no, it is weird the idea that they're introduced as a uh a csa thing right and they're described as being like pretty old too um yeah yeah like i don't know where else it would have appeared and i think that's 
It could have been in like one of the movie novelizations, the early ones, if they needed to throw in a. But I guess Here's even what, that one. Really... I just checked the behind the scene, the behind the scenes thing for the wiki, which I should have done before the um, video started. But the Victory yeah, One Star that, Destroyer yeah. was developed from a prototype Star Destroyer model created by Colin Cantwell, and was first mentioned by name in Brian Daly's novel Han Solo's Revenge. So okay, so yeah, pretty cool. Kind of a strange uh, introduction, but I mean. Victory Star Destroyer is like we've we've encountered almost as many Victory Star Destroyers by now as we have um, like Imperial Star Destroyers, possibly even more. Yeah, because they're basically for a lot of the books we've read, they're still trying to give an impression of like fewer ships, and then the ISD is this thing you never mm-hmm. want to come up against. Uh, so the VSD always gets thrown in as like a stand-in for for those other yeah. situations. We're getting into Dark Saber soon, and that has like seventy of them or whatever. Yeah. We get the whole Crimson Command. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be nice. But yeah, so the the book is mainly about Han uh, trying to get back at some slavers because uh, mm-hmm. Han doesn't like slavers and he wants the money that he's owed. Uh, he's basically looking after the events of At Star's End. He's looking for a way to get some more money. Uh, and initially what he does is set up a hollow theater on yeah. a planet <laughs> and he thinks he's sort of just set up this entertainment center for everyone and mm-hmm. that, uh, the local insects, uh, or it's an insectoid species, not just, mm-hmm. he's not just like entertaining some roaches or something, <laughs> um, where they just, they love the video. He only has the one hollow movie, but he, he'd been on a job to deliver some hollow projectors. One was the wrong brand. I think it was like mm-hmm. he brought uh, seven VCRs and a Betamax, and uh, gets to keep the Betamax. Gets to keep the Betamax, and he's showing just uh, like a nature documentary. And he's like, "Okay, so maybe if I get any other movie, I can have more variety. They'll love it even more." Mm-hmm. So his buddy uh, Saniod, I think is yeah how you'd say it. I don't know. Yeah, uh, his bro. He shows up. He's one of Han's old contacts. And mm-hmm. this guy has another movie to trade for him because uh, Han thinks like, oh, this is a boring travel documentary and they'll just eat something else up because uh, yeah. Han is intending to switch it out. He'll play this new movie, give the other one to Sonny Odin. Uh, You've been thinking about maybe bringing this uh, little enterprise across the galaxy is like mobile movie theaters on backwater planets. Yeah. And uh, so he's just getting paid in these random things that the uh that the insects have but they get super pissed off when the other movie starts playing mm-hmm. and sonia notices like oh that movie that you were playing is about water you fucking idiot they you didn't start a theater you started a cult <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're because they were all bringing him like valuables like it's not like he wasn't charging five dollars for entry he was just like bring me shit and yeah so yeah. they were basically bringing offerings to watch this video because their planet kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. And the movie was basically a travelogue about a, a water world. Yeah. So to them, the idea that there's a world out there with that much water was like this yeah. divine thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is another situation where they don't really go too much into what happens. Han just kind of escapes. Yeah. And that's our little vignette for the start of it. But Sonia did give Han some information that there are people in the corporate sector who are looking for 
someone to do a job, no questions asked. And that's kind of what sets yep. off the main plot. Which... I do like it's it is a little endearing, even when they're trying to escape. Han goes out of his way not to shoot any of his former patrons, even though yeah. like he's done making money from them. And of course, at this point, the Falcons in disrepair. They've got this uh, kind of crappy new system in it. Um, so, yeah, they go to the C They go back to the CSA because they start out, they start outside having basically quit it despite getting this really valuable document in the last one. Um, and they are off to meet the planet Bonadan, which as we said, is pretty, you know, pretty well-known planet in legends to meet this guy named Zlarb. And it's one of those cases where Han doesn't know what he's doing, which is usually a no, no, but they're so strapped for cash. They don't know where the next meal is coming from that they go to the planet anyway. Um, and it ends up being that Zlarb almost hijacks the Falcon. He he gets Han at gunpoint. They go on the ship, uh, and it turns out that basically they're using the Falcon, or they want to use the Falcon to transport slaves. And Chewbacca actually has a a pretty Chewbacca's unimpressed. Han is unimpressed. And at this point, I don't know if Chewbacca's history of being a slave had been fleshed out yet, or how Wookies were used as slaves. But he has quite a violent reaction. Um, and with some help from Bollocks and Blue Max, who are the two droids, um, with them, they, uh, they end up defeating them, but of course they don't get the money they were promised. Yeah, so Han still thinks, for reasons I don't entirely understand, like the Han's mm -hmm. main motivation throughout this, uh, at least his stated motivation, is that he wants the 10,000 credits they owe him which mm -hmm. I would argue they probably don't owe him the money for services rendered, considering he yes. didn't render any services. He rendered bullets, which I he entirely agree with. Yeah. Yeah, no, I but agree. you're not going to go to them and be like, hey, you can pay me now. They're going to know the job wasn't done. It just seemed like a bad plan. Yeah, especially where they're like human trap or alien traffickers. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, okay, if like the local flower shop didn't pay you and you were doing delivery runs for them, like, okay, maybe go like, Maybe go shake them down, but these nasty mm -hmm. human traffickers, I don't know. Um, also, it kind of puts into perspective how uh, ludicrously Obi-Wan paid for that trip to uh, Alderaan. He pays like 17,000 credits to go to Alderaan. And yeah. uh, Luke's probably just like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, like we could have got to Alderaan and had like a nice meal, but instead you're overpaying this guy to fly us, you know. The value of credits way. is always is always in flux. Yes. It sometimes seventeen thousand credits seems like it'll get you a hamburger. Other mm -hmm. times it's like the price of a small planet. Yeah. So who knows? Like Boba Fett was getting paid like tens of millions of credits and some which I guess maybe, but Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that I love throughout these books just consistently is that every time Blue Max gets introduced to someone, they're just fucking floored by the fact that there's a droid inside of another droid. Yeah. I, like, I do like how... Sorry, go ahead. I just, it's not that impressive. I don't, like, cool, yeah. you have a walking cabinet for your droid. I also noticed that they again kind of... Or Brian Daly again paints Bollocks as like a big construction droid, like... Again, he says simian ar simian arms and a wide chest, uh, long arms like almost like a knuckle dragger is how I imagine like a big loader droid. So I'm just 
still frustrated that in the art yeah. he's basically portrayed as a protocol droid. Um, I do like how Blue Max and, and Bollocks are kind of given their own autonomy, though, after the mission from the last book. Like, Han doesn't really own them anymore. No. Um, they're, they're basically working for passage on the Millennium mm-hmm. Falcon. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Especially because they were still property in the last book, but I guess they they earned their freedom. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things that Han says to Sanyat is that... Uh, like one of the ways he shows that this planet is so primitive that he specifically highlights is they've still got nationalism, which <laughs> I really enjoyed. Yeah. But then like 16 pages later, uh, Han gets canceled. So yeah, I saw really, that. it brings forward uh, a lot of modern themes. Yeah. Not a word to him solo, not a sounder. You're canceled. <laughs> I've got these old tweets ready. I've got screenshots. <laughs> I don't care if it was 2010. Um, <laughs> one thing, we do get a Clone Wars reference as well, um, because the beings being trafficked are skilled in genetic manipulation. Yeah. And uh, even after the the new regulations after the Clone Wars, which it's like you basically make a reference to clones in the Clone Wars, and it's like you could probably skate by at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Yeah, it. There are a few places where there's also, like, almost a different impression of how the empire is supposed to be scaled within the galaxy. Yeah. So not like this all-encompassing thing, mm-hmm. where like there's the CSA, but there's also the implication that there's these other states around them, and that the empire is the most powerful thing in the galaxy, but it's not necessarily overwhelming to the point that it ultimately ends up being. Uh, much more like classical fantasy, like world building. Yeah. Uh, we even get like the Tianese hegemony game yeah. dropped. That was um, uh, the specific reference where mm-hmm. like someone goes off to the Tian hegemony and uh, that's where they died. I think that's actually the conversation with Roa where that yeah. was mentioned. Yeah. Um, but like there is this idea that there's multiple small autonomous independent kind of space states around who mm-hmm. don't have nationalism uh by implication but are not quite all just like members of the empire and then it sort of gets the way it's presented later it gets reconned is kind of that all of these are under the imperial influence mm-hmm. uh maybe there's some level of local autonomy but they are technically part of the empire yeah, there's even that with the hapens really or like and, and yeah it's just like it, it really you're right it's kind of just retconned to like it's true that the empire really could is all encompassing, but they just haven't bothered yet. Like, yeah. Um, well, there is a I, bit I, of a, an insinuation that if the empire really wanted to do something about anything, yeah. they could where Han is thinking about like the slavers. If the empire knew this was going on, uh, yeah. they'd probably be all over it, which I mean, we've got to find out. No, they wouldn't. <laughs> uh, empire, not so anti-slavery, but yeah, also, Jedi not so anti-slavery. Um, there's because we get a we get a bit of the the slavery stuff because the Lordians were slaves, right? Um, yeah. So there's like the whole idea that Viola might be really against these slaveries for kind of personal slavery for personal reasons. It kind of reminded me 
of like there's kind of an arc like that in fate of the jedi where it's like there's all this slavery going on but like not only does nobody give a shit but like if slavery was ended it would probably cause like the entire outer rim economy to crash mm-hmm. um and you have all these like slave races and i think the the lordians are even mentioned um who are like pretty not cool with it yeah um yeah well, luckily also, Chewie... Han is not cool with it, and Chewie's not yeah. cool with it. Han yeah. likes to pretend it's just for the money, but really, we know. Yeah, there's a lot less of the um, overt kind of Han is yeah. a scoundrel with a heart of gold, but there's a. I, th- I think it's much more effective in this because he like just straight up refuses to do what would be a relatively simple run um, for ten thousand yeah. um, dollars. So it was definitely better at the show don't tell thing. Yes. Where in the last book, uh, Jessa would have said like eight times, you, you pretend to be a hard-ass Han, but really you're not. And like you get <laughs> at least four other characters doing that, but I don't think anyone yeah. says anything like that in this. No, no. The closest nice. you get like people like Roa and Wellen who are supposed like, who are kind of presented like they're supposed to be nice, likable people and they like Han. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Fiola, and she takes to Han, and then you get the fact that like Chewie is a good person, and he likes Han. So mm-hmm. even if Han is doing some of the more questionable things, or his motivations seem more questionable, uh, there's still the same uh, idea that no, Han is actually not a complete dick. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, kind of changing tracks. One thing I really liked about this book is that Chewie crushes a beer. Um, there's a, there's a whole scene where they're in the cantina, like when they're on Bonadan, and Han must drink like he must put back like five drinks while he's there. He's just fine. I'm like, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. But the way they describe Chewie is like he had a huge smile on his face. It's just, I I do kind of enjoy the uh, depiction of Chewbacca as being like a big kid at heart sometimes yeah. when he's doing something he really loves, like hunting an animal or like. Literally turning beer. a bird into a into a glider that he can use. <laughs> that part was pretty wild. Yeah, I had to read it twice. Cause I was like, no, there's no way that's what he's doing. I was like, no, that's what he's doing. <laughs> I feel like that's the exact same with me because it's quite a long description as well. Yeah, of like him making that glider, and I was like, I felt like I was in like a fever dream while I was yeah. reading it. I was like, this is not going where like like I'm I'm I was like I must be reading this wrong. Because yeah, no way. <laughs> but no, <laughs> it's like an entire chapter and. It. I was trying to figure like, oh, like, clearly I, I missed something because he's doing something important and mm-hmm. I'm just not sure what it was or what the actual thing he's doing for this is. But it's like, no, he's he's turning a bird into a glider. Okay. Pretty metal. Um. So I guess plot-wise, they... It's... it's what goes on on Bonanian is a little confusing, but basically they find Fiola, who works for the corporate sector authority, so kind of a weird relationship there, but she's also tracking down um, basically this slavery operation seems to have its roots within the CSA itself. Um, so she, for one, she helps Han pay off um, what they call a skip tracer, basically like a like a um, bondsman or not a bondsman, like a um, like a bankruptcy um, a debt collector. Debt collector, yeah. Um, and that's. So she pays off half of the fee 
Does she know that he's working for the CSA as well? He does. She does, right? No, she doesn't. So basically the, um, the implication is that the the slave trading that they're tracking down goes all the way up to this guy named Ajiman, who is one of the higher ups in the CSA mm-hmm. and the skip tracer spray turns out in the end to be Ajiman. Uh, okay. but I, I missed that. That was okay. Yeah. So Fiola doesn't know until the end where mm-hmm. she realizes what's going on. Uh, but I don't think she thinks there's anything up with spray uh until that point until she realized like oh spray was actually the one that drew the pirates here and is using Han right. kind of as bait uh because the, the big twist there is that actually no ajuman isn't involved in this ajuman mm-hmm. has been with you the whole time and he's mm-hmm. another one of the ones like fiola who are trying to change the corporate sector from the inside and track down these uh these bad apples mm-hmm. i kind of imagine ajuman as like I kind of imagine him as being like really goofy, like duck build, like a platypus maybe, like an otter with a, with a like a platypus's bill and like two big stupid teeth. Then I looked at the picture and I was like, oh, I was almost right. He's pretty much just an otter. Like don't let kip or don't let corn around. Yeah. <laughs> corn would have fucked that otter within one book, no questions asked. Well, he does that with every character. So there's yeah, and every otter. What otters aren't characters? Well, there There's are some even even otters that aren't in the book. Like, yeah, if he's just out for nature. Walk, yeah, like in the Venn diagram of like characters, Corin fucks otters and characters in the book. Uh, there's a lot of overlap there between any two sections. Not all of them fit in within right. uh, just the middle where they all three meet. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Not well, every otter the, can I fit think the, in the character. Book. I think the Corin bangs would wouldn't be an interior circle. It would just be a larger one that encompasses the other. Everything, two. yeah. <laughs> it's just the default. Certainly, at state. least all the otters. That's fair. Uh, um. Anyway, we, so sorry. Go ahead. We do get the reasons for Han being canceled a bit later in the book, uh, where he makes a comment about finally a female who can pack light, uh, who travels light. <laughs> And also when they're staying on the uh, maid uh, or the lady of Mindor, which is yeah. they're using that to get from. He was very Bonadin. Indiana Jones-esque. Yeah. <laughs> they use that to get from Bonadin, well, indirectly, to mm-hmm. Amud, I think it's called. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. that's where they're going to meet up with Chewie. And they're mm-hmm. trying to kind of lay low. But he does say that the the main problem with her is that she locks her door at night, which I didn't. And that's like exactly how Indiana Jones is like in those old movies. Yeah. Where like people were a little less like aware aware of some of these issues, I guess. And like that's always it's like always on the train or on the plane or wherever with his female archaeologist. Then Indiana Jones would be pulling this shit. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Han cancelled first of many times. Um, but Fiola is so good at reading Han and Chewie's expressions and seeing like what's going on when they're looking to meet with uh, whoever's Larb was supposed to meet with. And what a stupid name, by the way. Can we just... Yeah. I don't want to call him Larb, but we have to. Yeah. Uh, there's literally no way around it. But she was never able to tell that either Spray was Ajiman or like Spray mm-hmm. was working on what he was working on. Mm-hmm. And 
the other one is that her hand-picked assistant mag was actually working with the slavers the entire time so it's hard to say if she was just being presented as having a really good or a really bad judge of character or a really good judge of character but these other people were really good at hiding it but Mm -hmm. uh but yeah yeah um i do find it funny though like that scene where where she kind of talks about talks to han and he's like yeah you and chewie were just kind of like staring at that table waiting for someone to show up and i just imagine them being like like shit shit someone's walking by like thinking thinking they're really smooth but just yeah hey chewie look someone's approaching that table well he even says like uh or she even says like anytime anyone looked like they were heading towards the tail you'd be like jumping out at it yeah not super smooth no but Han but does then, show multiple times that he's able to get into wherever he needs to and talk to yeah. whoever he needs to. Uh, and they'll just be like, oh, hi, you're here. It's like an RPG where like you just walk into whatever character's house, even if it's like the king of some place. And you can just mm-hmm. talk to them like with yeah. uh, the the clans at the end. It's just like, I would like to talk to your brother and represent him in a duel. It's like, hmm. Yes. Yeah, Han Solo is the main character of, of Star Wars, period. Like, no one yeah. else gets away with half the shit Han Solo does. <laughs> Which, you know, kind of fun. Um, I didn't really get why they were going right for more glad either. Does she specifically say at some point that that's why they're going to a mood? A mood? I didn't think so. I thought, thought it was, was kind of an awkward bit there yeah i think it was just like he picked up on the uh in the conversation that he didn't want to go with the other one yeah because it was it talked about han remembering that these people were like that Mm -hmm. uh and it just comes up then i don't think it was something that fiola had planned i think it was Mm -hmm. really just they wanted to get there and meet with chewy but uh that's that's kind of the part that i was like a bit mad about because it turns out that like kind of the whole plan yeah revolves around that basically the this so on this planet it seems like the csa has hired these like different clans i guess to provide security um and one of them is i, I think more is his title right and then the yeah, house is like, or like the the clan is uh glad or glade glade or glade. whatever it is um glade and robitussin <laughs> um and so yeah, it, it turns out basically that they have all this information about the ongoing plot, the slavers stuff. So what happens is that the otter, it's which is just I'm gonna refer to him, gets the help of this gunman that works for him, whose name is Galandro, um to he basically like slaps more uh Glad's sister with a glove and is like like I'm challenging your honor. There's gonna be this big gunfight, and Han Solo steps in um, to protect uh, more. He's kind of like a almost like a, a regent, and of course He's a the gunman clan chief essentially. Yeah, um, the gunman is in on it. Once Han steps in, he kind of backs off, and then Han doesn't realize this, but that allows him to get closer to uh, more glad. Yeah, blade. Yeah, yeah, that is one of the things that I thought was weaker about this one, especially compared to mm-hmm. the last one, where it's like the plot is just resolved by this kind of happy coincidence where 
they don't even meet up with Chewie. They just first get to the planet, and here's uh, more glad. Mm-hmm. And luckily, more glad was also screwed over by the slavers. And well, first off, luckily he knew who they were. And then it turned out, oh, we had a contract with them, and our code of ethics means uh, just because they screwed over you and their slavers, yeah. we have to yeah. honor them. But then it turned out, luckily, that they had poisoned the father of more, yeah. the current more glad, uh, I guess, to get this one in charge, because the older one maybe couldn't play ball. Maybe I'm throwing in more than was there. Uh, but it it just turned into a bunch of like really convenient shit happening. Yeah. Uh, like no one in the clan can represent him. No one from the other clans yeah. wants to. Apparently they can't hire another gunslinger. Like it's just kind of and like that whole it's all very uh it's already a little bit weird like cuz the the threads a bit hard to follow in my opinion once they get off Bonadan and this doesn't help for me. Yeah, it just there's so much of the plot that isn't actually going anywhere mm-hmm. uh, where it's just like they're separated. They need to be unseparated and then maybe they'll do something related to the plot. But mm-hmm. after we get the chapter of Chewie making his glider, Han, Fiola, uh, Bollocks and Spray come careening in in the Falcon. But uh, as soon as they land, someone had been transmitting. So the slavers are coming. Uh, turns mm-hmm. out that it was spray because he's ajuman and they have to figure out who or how they were found but it just seemed like han didn't actually ever have a plan to mm-hmm. catch whoever was showing up it's just like he'd meet someone and be like hey were you screwed over by these people would you <laughs> like to help and then luckily the last two were like yeah actually we've uh we know them and then ajuman had been hunting them the entire time mm-hmm which there are certain hints at other plot points. I'd have to go back through and see if there's any hint at Spray being Ajuman because that might there's change. There's one that I picked up on. He okay. like takes a real interest in the Falcon's computer. Um, like oh, he, right, where they've been? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like he, he makes it seem like he just wants it for... Um, Checking the ship's capabilities. Yeah, and then when he gets the ship's information, he's just like seems disinterested. Um, mm-hmm. But then he kind of like, it's kind of more complicated because it's not like he's a good guy or a bad guy. Because even though he is working for the CSA, he does, like he saves Chewbacca in one case. Um, like he helps out. He seems to like the people, but ultimately he does serve this higher purpose for him at least. Um, so, yeah, and it's the same with, it's the same with Fiola. And at the at the end of the book, I was actually a little disappointed how like ready they were to screw over Han, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's the CSA. Uh, the CSA is like a piece of shit. <laughs> they are trying to change it from the inside. But like, so much bad shit is going on in the CSA. Like, so much bad shit. Like, yeah. slavery, slavery, that's bad. But, like, the CSA is, like, raping and pillaging planets. Like, they're murdering locals. Like, there's... Like, in the last book, Han was delivering munitions montillions um <laughs> to basically a resistance group against the csa yeah um so like yeah maybe slavery is a big deal but like there's a lot more that the csa is doing that they're allowing themselves to do they've got basically a police state yeah so. 
Yeah, like not very epic. I don't know what Ajuman and Fiola think they're gonna do once they expose the slavery because the CSA does its yeah. own slavery everywhere. Like, did anyone but... tell Ajuman that like he's an otter? So like, good fucking luck. <laughs> You're sounding real yeah. CSA right now. What's that stand for? Like you're just part of the corporate sector authority. Oh, I thought you were going to say like... I wasn't being clever. I was just saying you sound like you're being uh, a weird steampunk authoritarian dystopia dick right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Sorry. I yeah. want to formally also apologize to any otters. And to all my otters in the chat, which alien species is hotter? The uh, Tynan or the Salonians? Please let me know. Hmm. I was really... Uh, I almost didn't make that joke because I was just fucking waiting for some stupid furry comment. <laughs> I I can't make a furry comment every episode. Because I don't want it's people just, to think I have I gotta a problem change, with furries. I gotta change this picture. I don't look... Nothing against furries, but... Furries you know. are usually very nice people. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, look, I'm just saying, be who you are, Eck. Shut the fuck up, Corey. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like the the book kind of ends with Ajiman saying, "Oh, yep, I we lured in the the slavers to attack you, and now you're gonna get fucked over in some way that's not entirely clear why it's necessary. And Galandro is yeah. gonna be on your ship with you, and you're gonna go somewhere, like, but actually you're not. And then they have uh, hot. So they they're coming down from the Victory Star Destroyer, in mm -hmm. this a, basically a shark cage is how I pictured it. Yeah, me too. That's uh, exactly how I pictured it. And that's how Galandro gets down, who has mm -hmm. been surprised working with Ajuman the whole time. Uh, but Fiola and Spray are or Ajuman are using it to get back up to the Victory Star Destroyer, and Han's like, "Oh, if I'm gonna break out, I'm gonna need guarantees that they're not gonna blow me up." So he just like takes the Falcon's mandibles and wrap, like drives <laughs> yeah. them into the cage. And then he's got Ajuman and Fiola. So he's like, oh, they're not going to fire on me now. Mm -hmm. But like then dealing your own pimps. <laughs> he negotiates a deal to like basically go into a CSA facility, possibly on the Victory Star Destroyer, fix his ship and then leave. And that's kind of where it goes. We're like everyone's just like, oh, you got us this time. <laughs> And we're just, I guess we just take it for granted that it works out or something. Yeah. Just the way it is. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it do be like that. Sometimes it do be like that. Uh, um, so there's a few things about this book that like, the book is very similarly structurally, very similar structurally to the last one. As we mentioned, you've got kind of the intro scene. You've got the beginning of the adventure. You've got a kind of action set piece. In this one, it's a speeder chase. Um, in the other one, it's a starfighter battle. Then you get usually two more planets. And on the final planet, you'll meet some sort of a gunslinger that, of course, Han will eventually face off against. In the last one, it's a lizard. Um, in this one, it's Galandro. I was a little surprised Han and Galandro didn't end up fighting, but I think they do before the end of the trilogy. I'm going to guess they do. Yeah, he kind of bests him by, like, Chewie rewiring the badge that they're going for whatever it was uh so not a not a true battle and then galandra's like hey you you want to just like not load our guns and we can do it anyway wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun come <laughs> on man please let me shoot but <laughs> but yeah it 
And I was like, no, <laughs> not yeah. gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It was. It was. A, it's a fun story, though. I enjoyed it. But yeah. I like this one book. more than the last one. I think. Yeah, I think there were places where it was weaker, but I enjoyed it overall more because some of them, uh, like there wasn't some of the same like kind of ham-fisted. On, you're you're the worst. I didn't much but like the. the uh, I didn't much like the the jailbreak sequence of the last one either. Yeah, the last the. As soon as the prison left the planet, I was I was kind of out on the last one. <laughs> oh wow, Galandro is actually another character that got a picture in the Reader's Companion. I wasn't aware of that. He's got a. I've like expected a. a, a that's what I expected. I yeah. thought he'd be older though. Maybe with a bushier mustache. Yeah. But. Uh, I guess I'll I'll hold this up to the camera and hope that no one messages me again. But. Yeah, why why am I trying to show a camera on? Yeah, they can Google it, Corey. They can, but they they don't have to because I just did it. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Galandro's daughter was a part of the New Jedi Order. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, hold on. Um, who? Uh, where did I just see that? Um. See, I thought he might have been connected to like Galandro Anya Heavy Works. Galandro, or something. she was. Yeah, she was addicted to spice, and it, she was in the Young Jedi Knights books. <laughs> huh. Well, there it is. That. Oh, there's a picture of her as well. Looking kind of goofy. <laughs> Pretty goofy. Not gonna lie, she like, was. That's not what. <laughs> that's not how human bodies work. <laughs> well, she was born in two BBY and. Oh my god, that five head! Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> and uh, her dad died in zero BBY, so it makes sense. Anya, Jason Solo, and Lobaka are ambushed. Now that is epic. She has a real sword. This is before Jedi were allowed to use lightsabers. Anyway, no, it's a lightsaber. It's a lightsaber. Is it a lightsaber in the yeah, in the drawing? It's, a, it's just got a it's just got a weird hue around it. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see it now. It looked like. Are you looking at the black and white picture? Yeah, I'm looking at the drawing, where <laughs> Jason, Jason the absolute yeah. mad lad back there. I'm trying to think of who he who he looks like there. It kind of looks like, like um... Justin Trudeau if his face went through a <laughs> spaghetti maker, like the the noodle. <laughs> Justin Trudeau after ten hours in Area X. <laughs> Or Varric from Legend of Korra. I'm not as familiar with that. Sorry. Well, you better be sorry. It's it's available to watch and it's great. But anyway, at some point I haven't watched Avatar before. That is Avatar, right? Yeah, that's like the the sequel to the original Avatar series. Both are. I haven't very watched good. Avatar before, but I've I've got to based on what I've heard. I've heard it's like the best show ever. They're very good shows, both of them. Or not quite as much as uh, Last Airbender, but it does have my favorite series or season of the. I watched it when six, I was a kid. I remember the seven. guy with the, the burn. Was he Zuko? Yeah, I remember him, and like I remember, he was like a bad guy, but probably not forever. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that pretty much covers most of the plot. Um, yeah. Anything else from your notes or anything else that you wanted to mention? You guys might notice these episodes are a little shorter, and that's just because, to be frank, the books are much shorter. This one is, 
under 200 pages and the last one was two and so is the next one yeah with a lot um, of other books we have like two or three plots going on with this it's just like literally what is han doing yeah uh yeah. so much shorter book much simpler plot no perspective uh, changes yeah and we are doing weekly episodes now so mm. the topical episodes that we do will probably end up skewing shorter like 30 to 60 minutes maybe yeah. and then when we do the other books they'll probably be closer to the hour and a half mark mm-hmm. but uh but yeah so there's a couple more things i want to mention i just remember from my notes um one is we get a me- mention of synth flesh um which i assume might be the first time that was introduced as well that becomes a pretty popular thing um maybe not though maybe that was somewhere else we also get swoop riders um that one is also like swoops are basically like star wars motorcycle yeah um i'm kind of curious to see whether those had introduction somewhere else because they're a pretty big legends thing appearances there's too many of them first han solo's wrench so there you go pretty cool so a lot from this book end up being uh pretty uh pretty important i also did like the scene with the uh with the waiter or like the bartender yeah all you humans um, look the same yeah and han plays that on him like i felt, I felt bad for the guy by the end of it like he was about to be fired yeah. but still it comes through han doesn't give a shit he got his free whiskeys or whatever yeah and was it like it they assumed spray was like someone's significant yeah, other or child or something it? yeah and then, she, and then he says, "Feel like he refers to her as he, I believe." Yeah, yeah, because he just doesn't know what humans look like, or most other yeah. aliens. Um, Which it's fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, an otter does kind of look like a small Wookiee, I guess, like a baby Wookiee. So fair enough. So I guess as this episode is winding down. We, we've kind of given our ratings, as we said, if we do a rating of this series, we'll do it after we've gotten all three books. Regarding emails, um, we got one from Sarah. We got a really thoughtful email from Sarah who kind of detailed um, like how Cornhorn is acting from a deep place of trauma and untreated PTSD. And Sarah's actually sent us a few good emails now. Um, so thank you, Sarah. Yeah, there was that. There was the uh, tracking, I think every rogue squadron members position or area at all times mm-hmm. uh that was cool yeah so we were saying sarah if you've got somewhere else where this information is hosted because it is a lot for us to cover on the podcast uh let us know and we'll try to link some people to it but yeah she did a really good job of kind of you know laying it all out and yeah yeah so yeah thank you sarah uh, I think that was actually the only email we got this week. Uh, so if you have any questions about either Han Solo's Revenge or uh, Han Solo and the Indiana Jones and the Lost Legacy, uh, which is going to be covered next week, then send an email to tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com or tweet at tapcaftpodcast on the, on the Twitters. Uh, and that's where we are on social media or also at Eckhart's Ladder and at Corey Loses. There is a really funny... There there are, were Indiana Jones books, and one of them is called Indiana Jones and the Sky Pirates. Um, that sounds pretty epic. It does sound epic. Like, what is the Sky Pirate? I think they just fly planes. 
Hold on, there's a Google. In London, Indiana Jones is called to an emergency meeting. Mysterious skycraft have been ravaging the shipping lanes, making off with a fortune in diamonds, bonds, and raw materials. That sounds epic. It's probably like a, a Zeppelin or something. <laughs> but still, to, to commit piracy from a Zeppelin? Imagine how cool. slow you'd be going. Speaking of piracy, guys, just a reminder that after this stream, we will be streaming some Sea of Thieves post on Corey's gaming channel. Not here. This is Corey's datapad over on Corey Loses or over on the kind of joint channel we all run, which is X2, E-C-K-S-T-O-O. -O. So if you want to catch that afterwards, feel free. And I think I think we're done. Yeah, I think uh, Han is going to be flying solo for another week until we come back with uh, Han Solo and the Lost Legacy. He's got his droids in his Wookiee. What else do you need? To repair the Falcon every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for watching, everyone. Hope you have enjoyed the podcast, or thanks for listening as well. And uh, we will see you next time. Goodbye.